This morning's second scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to begin this morning by just offering a word of thanks to Lynette Meyer and also James, who filled in the last two weeks while I was off, not really on vacation, but out doing other things. Uh, The first week we were gone when James preached, Mindy and I went to Mount Pleasant, Texas, 
which for those of you that are familiar with East Texas, Nancy Evans is because it's right down the road from where you grew up. Um, We were there lakeside for a wedding, beautiful setting, 100 degree heat, so there was no vacation there in that humidity. Uh, Mindy's cousin got married, Mindy was in the wedding, I was doing the wedding, and so... um, So that's where we were. And then last weekend, we were at Sacramento Methodist Assembly, our church camp, uh, up in the the Lincoln National Forest, the Sacramento Mountains, up by Cloudcroft. Uh, There was a pension retreat. And so they invited us to go and said, bring your family and come learn about what it is to plan for retirement. And so we went. And it was kind of weird at age 34 to go. But... um, you know, it's definitely going to pay off, I think, in the, in the future, having looked at things and kind of figured stuff out. And so it was very good, and I'm just grateful that Lynette and James were able to cover, and I really appreciate that. But this morning, we're beginning a look at our statement together as a church that we've adopted roughly a year and a half ago about what it means for us to be a church and what it means for us pers- as personal individuals who are seeking to follow out and live out the statement that we share together to grow with God, to grow with others, to grow in service to the world. This is a statement that you and I have adopted. Our Ad Council recognized we have it on some of our publications. But what is it for us to think about that and to make it a part of who we are and what we do as individuals? As we think about the different ways that you and I are able to share and express our faith and grow as God has called us to grow, not as as individuals, not just as a church community, but as part of a larger body, which is the body of Jesus Christ in this world. It's a statement I mentioned a minute ago that we've used for, for a year and a half. And today I just want us to think about it, and for the next few weeks, about how that statement helps you and I in our church and in our daily lives to fulfill the great commission that Jesus placed on his disciples and on all of us that have received his message and word and hope and have professed our belief in him. Because that's the ultimate vision statement. To go forth and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Matthew nineteen four or 28 verse 19, I'm sorry. But in some way we have articulated how we ourselves are going to attempt to live as individuals so that we are prepared to offer this gift of grace and of life and of hope to those that we come in contact with so that others may be made into disciples, so that others may be put in the place where they have the opportunity to choose the gift of grace and of life that you and I have received and hopefully enjoy. And so for the next few weeks, I want us to think about this statement. As we look at the scriptures and as we examine the different ways that you and I choose to live out and practice our faith as a community and as individuals. As we do the daily things, as we look at the daily things that you and I are are engaged in. As ways that we choose to grow in our faith on our own. Realizing that the things that we do on our own help bolster the community and the stronger our community is, the more we can do in and through this world with the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. How can we, as followers of Jesus, bolster our own spiritual lives so that we ourselves are always in a place where God is at work? I mean, I think that's a a question that we have to ask. 
I know that the early church struggled with this question. I know that you and I read different portions of the book of Paul's letter to the Galatians over the last five weeks where these same questions were asked. Or it wasn't last five weeks, but oh yeah, it was. Because even in today's letter, we read Hebrews. A passage that that we've read where it says that we have to approach God's throne with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, the author of this letter is talking about examining oneself and making oneself prepared and rooted in the faith so that whenever we approach the Lord, we can approach not out of timidity, not out of hesitation, but with boldness because we know whose we are and we know who God is in our lives. So that we can receive something. So that we can receive mercy and grace and the gift of forgiveness and all of those things that God has offered each of you through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we've received it. It's a passage that says we approach God to receive the mercy and grace in our time of need. Except, I don't know if we could say that it's just in our time of need. Because we need God's mercy and grace in all times. And so maybe what we could say is that we approach God's throne whenever we need to experience God. Whether it's to celebrate the joy of something or to mourn with someone or to offer a prayer of of, of you know, intercession or of healing for someone else, we can approach the throne of God. Or maybe we can approach the throne of God when we are celebrating the gift of new life or the something good that's happened in our life while knowing that we can always approach the throne of God when we're in times of trial and hurt and pain and unease. See, the scripture says that you and I can approach the throne of God with confidence. And in doing so, we root ourselves spiritually. So that you and I have positioned ourselves in a place where we don't just have to call on God in times of need. But instead we will have oriented ourselves towards the Lord. So that his mercy and his grace is always there. It's already there. It's not dependent on your decision of what you're going to do today. It's not dependent on how you react to something that's going on. It's there. God is present in you because you have chosen to make, uh, to make God a part of who you are and of how you choose to live your daily life. We'd really just, we'd be in a place where we've already received that which God has given us. We've placed ourselves in a place to where we're already ready to receive it, to where it doesn't matter on how we ask. Because it's there. And it's there and it's in us. A full measure of mercy and grace, as it says, comes from God when we approach His throne. So that we offer it to others. So that it can overflow out of us and go out into those that we come in contact with. Both in our community here, but also in our relationships outside this community and into this world. As we make disciples for Jesus Christ. Because ultimately that's the mission of the church. That's the thing that we're supposed to do. That's the way that we choose that Jesus told us we had to do it. Is to do it. To make disciples. And then he he doesn't go much more into, into other things except he says that's what we have to do. And so we as a church and as individuals attempt to find a way in our own lives that we can be guided by the Spirit and strengthened by the Word of God so that we can do that. In Christ's name, so that he might be glorified. 
And so this week I want to begin by looking at just some of the different ways that you and I can strengthen ourselves in our own spiritual practices so that we are prepared to make disciples for Jesus Christ as we choose to grow with God, grow with others, and grow in service to our world. This morning I want to talk just a minute about prayer. Prayer isn't maybe the first thing. If you look at the screen, there are lots of different things that that you and I can do by practicing prayer, worship, witness, service. I mean, there are lots of things. And it doesn't mean that prayer is the primary one because in each of these things, you and I can experience God in a new way that can also help others to experience God in a new way. Prayer isn't the entry. It's not the door. It might be service, it might be witness, it might be something else for any one of us to help us to encounter God in a new way or to be strengthened in our faith. But this morning I'm just starting with prayer. But before I begin, it's appropriate, I think, that I start with prayer this week because we had an interesting week in our home with Addison having her surgery. I know I thanked you all earlier for all of the prayers, but I can't express how much comfort it brought to me to know that she was being prayed for. When she went back, Mindy took her. I was outside with Katie in the waiting room at a really early hour in the morning. You know, but just to know that people were praying. And just to know that things were firmly in God's hands and that God's presence was there, was enough. It was more than enough. Because we knew that whatever would happen, that it wasn't just us that was going to be dealing with it. But there were other people united in prayer behind us and for us. And so, of course, the worst person for the surgery was the parents because little kids just bounce back amazingly. But I think prayer is what allows us to do the things we do and to face the situations that we face and to know that we're not alone because that's a way that you and I can support one another in a new way, in different ways, in ways that are irreplaceable Because we invoke and we bring in the power and spirit of God into our lives. As I've thought about prayer this past week, I've thought about three questions that you and I might ask as we read the scriptures and as we think about this topic. I know that these are three very general questions and I know some of you may have more specific questions or answers that you already have have, have come up with on your own. But the first is asking just the question, how does prayer help us grow with God? How does it help us grow with God as we seek to grow as individuals and as a church and in our service to each other? How can I in my practice of prayer help to grow or use prayer to help me grow with God and grow into the person that God wants me to be? The second is how can I practice our prayer life with the intent to grow in my relationships with others? So that the result is an increase in my actions of mercy and justice to the world. How does prayer lead us to be strengthened as a church and as a people? So that the result is the impact that we make on the world as we seek to fulfill the great commission of what Jesus has placed on our life to make disciples in His name, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I think the third question lumps into the second one as I've thought about it more, but really it's just how does prayer influence our community? You know, for me, prayer has helped me to know that I'm part of a community because I know that there are people praying for me and I hope you know that there are people praying for you. 
as we lift each other up in prayer and as we seek God's intervention on behalf of those that we love. We lift each other in prayer as we pray for those that we don't know. We know that God can and does do miraculous things when His people pray and communicate to Him and with Him as we offer our prayers through ourselves to others. For each of these questions, I've turned to the Scriptures and thought about the different ways as we read in the Old and New Testament about how prayer was used in the relationship between God and His people. There are different stories, many stories. You and I could all open our study Bibles and and find different um, passages of Scripture that deal with prayer. My study Bible is very small because it's not one and the font is really small and, and it doesn't have a lot of notes. But I know some of you that have a more thorough study Bible with you, you might be here for a while. But you know, we read the stories and we see how God has used prayer, how people... Faithful people have used prayer throughout the centuries to communicate with God and to receive that knowledge and information and strength and and everything else from the one that they have prayed to. Just a few of them that I thought of as I was talking and thinking about prayer this past week. You know, we can read in the Old Testament, if you go straight to Genesis 12, basically through Genesis 22, you read the story of Abraham. Abraham's story is rooted in prayer. At first, he was praying for something that he didn't have, for a child, for a son, him and his wife, Sarah. And then they were blessed with Isaac. And then he was praying as God told him to take Isaac to the mountaintop in Genesis chapter 22, where he was to be offered as a sacrifice or a gift. And if you remember, it was in prayer that God took Abraham and told him that he was going to bless him and his family and his descendants so that they could bless the world through him. So that God's blessing would go through the people of Abraham into the world and that they would be blessed to be a blessing. You can look at Moses' story in Exodus if you want to go read there and see how first Moses prayed to God simply when he saw the burning bush and when he encountered God on Mount Sinai. He prayed because he had questions, because he was scared for his life, because the people were upset with him once they'd gone into the wilderness and they felt like Moses was leading them to their death. Remember, he went to the mountain and he said, God, what am I going to do with these people? And then God said and spoke back to him and told him what he must do to build a covenant community, to build a people whose lives were rooted and based on prayer. If you look at the people of Israel themselves there in the desert, they prayed too. They cried out to God and complained that the food that they had was bland and drab because their meat pots in Egypt were full and they had cucumbers and everything else and they had more than they ever needed there. As they said, why don't you just take us back? But see, God answered their prayers because God heard them because even well, God heard them even in that time of need. You can read in Second Chronicles the prayers of Solomon. You know, one of the wisest kings, a man who was known for his wisdom in all of Israel and all of the world. Yet even with his wisdom, Solomon prayed to God for discernment 
He prayed when, when he was offered the one thing. He prayed for wisdom from God. He also prayed when they built the temple there in Jerusalem that God would bless it so that it would be a place in which all of Israel could come and know that it was a place that they could encounter God. If you go a little further, you can read the book of Ezra. Maybe you remember reading that a few months ago in the story. Ezra and Nehemiah, the people of Israel have been... Um, They've been exiled into the Babylonian, Babylonian captivity into Babylon with their defeat. And they're crying out to God, let us to return. And, and God finally allows that to happen. And there's one prayer in the book of Ezra that if you go read it, it talks about how Ezra is praying and the people are praying that God would bless them as they rebuild the wall, as they rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, and as they begin to worship God together. And the Gospels has just as many examples of prayer. The letters in the New Testament have even more examples of prayer. The past five weeks, you and I have looked at at a variety of prayers as we've read Galatians. As Paul has looked to this church, this Christian community that's being challenged, and they're wondering and they're waffling in their belief of this message that they've received about Jesus Christ, And if you remember with me, Paul prays for them. He instructs them, he admonishes them, and then he lifts them in prayer. As he tells them, as I pray for you, I wish you would pray for me. All I need from you is to pray for me. That in whatever trials I am facing because of this faith that I profess, I just pray that God would give me the strength to glorify him. Paul prayed prayers for strength and fortitude on those churches. And then today we read a prayer of Jesus. This prayer is unique because it's the one that he prayed right before he was betrayed and arrested according to John's Gospel. We've read prayers of Jesus in Matthew 4 where he goes out into the wilderness and he's tempted and he prays for strength so that whatever happens he can withstand the temptation of the devil. We read the prayer in Matthew where Jesus teaches the the Lord's Prayer to the people as He shows the disciples how to pray. And then this morning we we read the prayer that He prayed for His disciples. First He prays that God would give Him the ability to do what He needs to do because He knows what's before Him. He prays that in all things He might be glorified so that God might be glorified because He says we're one. As I am in you, you are in me. And then He prays for the disciples because He knows what is going to be happening to them. He knows what they are about to face, the challenges, the experiences that are before them. And He prays that they might have strength so that they might know God's glory as Jesus Himself is glorified. And then He prays for you. In verse 20, as he says, Father, bless all those who will come to believe. For all of those who will receive this message of life that is going to be proclaimed through me as they have seen that I am one in you and you are in me and that you sent me to this earth. I pray that you would bless them and that you would fill them with the power of your grace. 
as they witness the events that are going to unfold and as they hear the message of my resurrection. So I don't know if you've ever realized that, but in John chapter 17, Jesus prays for you. He prayed for each of us. He prayed that that we would receive the very same glory that He Himself had received. And then in doing that, and in our receiving it, that we would receive the love that God had come to the earth as the Son that God has for us. He prayed for each of us. Not just in, in... and saying, you know, just as, as part of his disciples, but he said that he would be praying for all of those who would come after the disciples, who would hear and who would receive, and would, who choose to, to live out this message of life and hope and grace that his resurrection was going to proclaim onto the earth. Just as Jesus prayed, even being God, So must we. As we pray for focus in our lives, for forgiveness, for strength, for our shortcomings and our blessings, for our questions and to give thanks, for ourselves, for our health, for the health of loved ones, for our community, for each other, for our friends, and even for our enemies. We pray to God. Because God is the only one in this world with whom you can be most honest. God is the only one with whom you can open yourself up without any concern or reservation for that which God thinks because God already knows the words before they're on our lips or before they're even formed in our hearts. We pray because God hears us. We pray because God engages us. And we pray because that is the place where you and I can approach the Lord with boldness. So that we can receive the grace and the mercy that He offers us, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4. We pray because it strengthens us as individuals. We pray for each other, for our leadership in our church. I pray for you. I hope you pray for me. We pray for our country, our world, our community. We pray for all things. Because in doing it, it puts us in the place where we are oriented to God. So that when there are times of need, whatever they are, we're there. And in being there, God's mercy and God's grace can flow through us. Because we know who God is. We know what He says. And we know the love that He has for each of us. Prayer helps us to grow with God. Prayer will help us to grow with others. And it's through prayer that our service in the world will be blessed as we proclaim God's name and as we offer His mercy and His grace to those that we come in contact with. Amen.